Welcome to Younger and Older. Normally, it's with uh, Jason and Dave. However, it is today with Todd and Dave. And the last time we were together, it was with Sarah and Dave. So I get around. I get a bunch of people in here <laughs> trying to talk to because I'm the old boomer guy. And I get to have very sharp young people in that I can talk to and ask questions to and try and understand life a little better through their lens, if you want to call it. So Todd McElhaney's with us. He's no stranger to the program. He's really one of the guys that works on staff here at Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. So, Todd, how are you this morning? Good. It's, uh, it's a beautiful morning and good to be, you know, talking about here at camp, starting to have people back amid yeah. pandemics and riots and all that stuff. Um, so a lot going on in the country, but we're excited to, in some capacity, talk about opening up to share Jesus with people. Yeah. You know, I really, I'm, I feel so sorry at times for our country mm-hmm. because it seems like we're a lost lamb out there trying to figure out who we are and how we operate. And there's a lot of wolves and it, it, savage things going on. And, and you kind of look at it and go, what in the world is really happening out there mm-hmm. between locking us up for a pandemic and, and now the riots and the police brutality in certain respects. And right. it just gets hard uh, and sometimes. So people have to, I think, take time to refocus mm-hmm. and what we're about. And really, we're about loving God and loving people, and we need to live in accordance with that. Whether you're a policeman or a person on the street or you're a housewife in a house, I mean, the goals are to be the same. You need to love people and, and treat them in a way that reflects what Christ would do. And uh, that would solve a lot of problems, I would think, but sure I guess would. you got to keep, quote, religion out of the formula. <laughs> I'm not sure. I have a question for you, though, as a young guy. Okay. Um, I, I do a lot of reading, as you know, a lot of trying to figure out life and trying to challenge people to think. And one of the things that is driving me kind of mentally insane these days is the idea of how many people your age bracket, how many young people are actually depressed? They're, they're growing up in a country, and, and I could be wrong on all my statistics, and so I won't give any. We have money. We mm-hmm. have food. Yeah. We, we have relative safety lately. I mean, until recent days, if you're on certain streets. Right. But, but we have relative safety from other countries invading us. And, um, and the economy was really in good shape. And most people can eat and have a roof over their head. And yet there's an increasing number of people that are depressed. Mm-hmm. Do you know what's going on? Why, why are we a country that struggles with being okay in life when it seems like the basics in life are met? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it, I know when I start to get bummed out, bummed out about stuff, it's when I'm really focusing on myself. I am being selfish. I have expectations of how I think things should be, how I would like them to be. But... You know, even just like listening to you kind of preface the question and all this stuff, it really starts to make me think this isn't a new problem. It kind of reminds me of Ecclesiastes. Right. And I feel like <laughs> as a culture, we are in this situation of abundance. And we know what abundance looks like. We either have it or are comparing ourselves to people that we see everywhere that have it. 
yeah. you know, because the social media, it's not like, not like it used to be where there's a small town and everybody's a modest farmer. Yeah. And that's just how you live. You're kind of unaware of the rich people in the big city, like Little House on the Prairie or something yeah. like that. So now, I mean, we have the capability of seeing and knowing what's happening on in China in almost real time, you know, with technology right. and all that stuff. So we are, as a culture, very connected, and the media in Hollywood loves to highlight the insanely wealthy. Yeah, they do. So, I don't know. I think it's a lot of the depression comes from wanting wanting a lot i think too i know something like i've even wrestled with is this idea of like what i want to do and you even look at our our culture in general you know people have pushed back like they want us to stay home and they're like complaining about quarantining and stuff and something my father-in-law said that was interesting he's a manager at a factory and one of his workers was whining to him and saying like, can you even believe it? They want us all to stay home and quarantine and you know, they want us to, what do they expect us to do? Just stay home and sit on the couch. Right. And he's like, well, I mean, could be worse. They asked my dad to go to war. Yeah. You know? And so I think a lot of people my age are so used to and entitled and just expecting freedom. Right. You know, like there's so we don't know anything different. So yeah. to just expect freedom and the privileges we've had in America for so long, I think we look at ourselves as what we want and don't don't really stop to think about like what are we doing for the best of America. Right. You know, I mean, you see old clips from like World War II and people are growing freedom gardens in their front yards to 40% of the produce. I had heard a statistic, 40% of the produce in the U.S. was grown in people's front yards. Wow. And everybody was doing their part for America. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of that mentality is gone. We're very focused on what we want when... You know, we think, too, we have so much untapped potential in ourselves. If the world just realized how great we were, yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Then everything would be better for us. And I don't know. That's just my yeah. uh, unplugged observation. Well, I think, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. I think, first of all, from the time I was young, of course, you and I, obviously, different generations. I remember when TV was just coming into its own you know, black and white televisions and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And and really the the change that began to take place is people watched a lot of television. Mm. You know, it used to be, you, you mentioned Little House on the Prairie days. You know, they didn't have television. Right. So what did they do in the evening? They hung out as a family. Yeah. Pa played the fiddle. Yep, yep, <laughs> pretty much. And, and they worked, and they worked sun up to sundown, and they, you know, I mean, there were very limited um, entertainment options, you right. might want to say. So when I was growing up, there were a, an abundance of entertainment media options. Mm -hmm. When my dad grew up, they didn't have a television. Mm -hmm. Reminds me of that 
um, scene from Princess Bride where he's like, I brought you a book. And he's like, a book? And he's like, yeah, when I was a kid, television was books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it, it yeah. does change things. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Definitely. you look at it, you look at the media. Now, one of the things, what is it that fuels the media is advertising. Mm-hmm. And advertising really specializes in getting us to not be satisfied with whatever we have in life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I saw this Calvin and Hobbes. Um, it's like a comic strip if you've ever read him. But he comes running into the kitchen and says to his mom, "He goes, Mom, I just saw this thing on TV that before this ad I didn't even know existed, but now I know I really need." Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it was like that is that's a picture of like I think what most people would depict as like perfect marketing like oh, people absolutely. didn't even know about it and now they're like i can't live without this thing that i live so long without <laughs> and can you spend hours looking at those things and not be affected by feeling like you're out of it because you don't have it you know no, what i mean i don't think so yeah. i think it's gonna affect you i i mean we've talked a lot about you know hours of influence and it matters what you put in your mind yep. Well, I was reading, uh, is reported by Twinge and colleagues, the evidence suggests a significant rise in adolescent depressive symptoms and suicide rates between 2010 and 15. There is evidence, moreover, that the rising rates of adolescent depression are correlated with the use of screen technologies. Hmm. Now, not just one media source, but just screens, smartphones, video games, television, social media, that there seems to be a correlation between the depressive symptoms and the um, amount that they would allow the, the media to go into their head. Interesting. Uh, and in this report, it said causation may run in both directions, from depressive syndromes toward screen time. It's kind of a self-medication. Uh, hmm. And from screen time toward depressive, depressive symptoms. For example, through the development of addictive behaviors of new technologies. Uh-huh. So... There seems to be a correlation there. Now, I believe it, yeah. Once again, if, if I were to get on as a boomer and say, you know, there's, you, know you, you shouldn't be on your phone as much. Yeah. Okay, the, the whole younger world rolls their eyes at me. Mainly because they haven't lived without that. Mm-hmm. But I have. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I lived without it. I even think of our, our time up here at um, Silver Birch Ranch. You know, it, when we came up, Started in 68 in the summer, and you know, we had no media up here for the whole summer, none. Mm-hmm. E- even in the chapel, there was one switch on the microphone, and it wasn't in the chapel. We didn't have a chapel. It was in the dining hall. And one, turn it on, turn it off. That was it. I don't a volume button. Um, and, and really, that was our whole, they called it a PA system mm-hmm. you know, back then. That was the extent of the technology, that, huh? That's it. Uh, you had a piano that was out of tune. Somewhere. Gotta have that, yeah. But it was totally out of tune because it's <laughs> in the North Woods and, yeah. and the humidity went up uh-huh. and down and there were no air-conditioned buildings and yep. there was no way to keep it in tune. Mm-hmm. So people who really liked the piano, there were no electronic pianos. So mm-hmm. people who liked the piano hated playing here mm-hmm. because they thought it sounded terrible, but the rest of us were, you know, Yahoo, let's play. And um, it didn't matter to people who don't know music, I guess. <laughs> but you look back on those days, yeah. and there was so much creative energy that we put into life mm-hmm. with each other. Not, yeah, we didn't sit and look at our phones. We didn't. We didn't sit and look at movies. Mm-hmm. There, 
the only thing we could do is say, okay, guys, we got an evening ahead of us with nothing to do. Mm-hmm. What shall we do? Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, we did all kinds of things. I, I, uh, I remember doing all kinds of things on horses that I would have never done. We would go out and, and try trick riding. You know, I would canter around the field and try and pick up my buddy at a full speed. And uh, we eventually got it. Uh, we, you know, I wiped him out a few times, but we eventually, <laughs> eventually got it. Uh, we, we used to go down to the, the beach, and we, we built a, a high dive platform down there for everybody. And we would practice what we call rodeo riding off the high dive. So one guy would get all the way back on the platform and run full, full speed and dive. Right before he dove, the guy in front would jump up, and he'd dive between his legs, and we would grab him. We would sit on his back as he dove by and so that we could ride him into the water. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was great. Um, we should I, try some of these things now. Yeah, I am not suggesting. <laughs> I, to all those listening, you need to be a professional to do any of these things. But, do you not know, try this at home or camp. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think we did so many things that when I look back on now at my age, I think, wow, that was, that was um, creative. Mm-hmm. It was energetic. It was fun. We didn't hurt anybody. Right. Um, no media involved. No, no, none of the outside influences. We weren't saying, boy, if we only had. Right. In fact, what was really interesting is my dad used to teach us, you need to um, go and do what you can with what you have. Right. So I remember my brother and I in Chicago, uh, I know this doesn't sound good, but we were garbage pickers. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Chicago had paved alleys. The mayor daily got them all paved. And we certain, you know, you knew when people put garbage out. And you'd just ride your bike up and down the alley and you'd see good stuff and you'd take it. And I mean, we used to build bikes and uh, all kinds of stuff with parts that were just thrown out. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that was our creative energy. Right. Because we're not inside watching television. Right. So yeah. always outside doing something, always outside working. And now, our society has changed where young people, they don't know what to do if they don't have something orchestrated for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I think yeah. that's causing problems. Yeah. So you as a parent, you have some young children. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say so. What, that. what do you do <laughs> to help them get to the point where they're not falling into this trap? Well, uh, I was just going to say that it, it's interesting you bring up those statistic, statistics and things because two things it brings to mind. One, we definitely limit how much screen time our kids have. But two, it's interesting that, that you even bring that up because recently we have just been noticing, you know, our son Finley will be fine. And then once a week we have a, a movie night. And he watches, and then he is a bear afterwards. He is not a good listener. He's whiny, doesn't want to, you know. And uh, so I could see how there's a correlation there. But I think for us, the best, the best use of or helping them to not, like, fall into that is to just get outside. Absolutely. You know, get them to run. Um, they love being in the woods they they're happiest when they're dirty <laughs> yeah you know i since since we've been all quarantined and not really going a whole lot of places 
at camp. I've made a lot of campfires with them. They love you know, just making campfire, putting up hammocks and, you know, yep. just just playing and being outside and being together, you yep. know, and um, not bringing screens into it. But, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. My, my dad used to tell it used to kind of spur us on because mm-hmm. he would tell us now, of course, when he was younger, there was no TV mm-hmm. for him. So another level, you know, totally. Right. We had TV, yeah. Um, but he limited us, just like you were talking about with your kids. Even mm-hmm. back in the sixties and seventies, he limited us. But the 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 he would tell us, you know, when I was a kid, I I built uh, scooters, and we thought scooter. What do you mean? Well, you you find old roller blades that somebody threw out, take the wheels off. Mm-hmm. You know, you mount them on the bottom of a two by four. Put mm-hmm. an orange crate on it, <laughs> you know, put some handles on there yeah. and have races. So sure enough, my brother and I kept looking. We finally built a couple of scooters mm-hmm. and we'd go, of course, this is Chicago, so it's kind of weird, but we, we're, <laughs> well, what does that mean? <laughs> well, it means back then things were just a little different gotcha. because we would yeah. go to the top of these hills on the roads and just race right down the road with oh, our scooters. Gotcha. Yeah, that is. Yep. Okay. And, you know, one guy would be at the bottom yelling at cars to stop, you know, because we're coming by the intersection at 100 miles an hour on a scooter <laughs> and there's no brakes. There's and, going to be a long skid mark named Dave. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow everybody found this acceptable. You know yeah. what I mean? Okay. Um, okay. I see where you're coming from now. Because <laughs> kids used to play in the streets. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and that was pretty normal in our neighborhood. It was a Chicago neighborhood. And in fact, we didn't have watches back then either. So we still kind of make fun of it. And people roll their eyes at me because they said, yeah, you know, and the street lights came on, I had to go home. And that the old people go, yeah, I know that was the standard. You know, mm-hmm. the street lights come on, you come in. And because hmm. uh, they always went on at a certain time, usually at dusk. And that way the parents all had a signal, you know, because none of the kids had watches. So you mm. couldn't, you know, say come home at eight o'clock. Right. Yeah. And throughout the year, it was always a little safer to be in the house in Chicago when it got dark. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of interesting. So you're outside creating games, playing. And the, the fun thing is, I know we're, we're struggling even today in our culture with, you know, integrating people and family. But back then we did. We just played outside. Mm-hmm. And any kids were welcome. Yeah. The other thing that I think, um, like you touched on but didn't space, say specifically, is you were interacting with people face-to-face. Right. And learning how to interact that way. Like you hear about just all this drama on social media where um, people can leave a comment with no consequence, very hateful, very aggressive comments, and then they walk away. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, face-to-face, you you wouldn't generally talk to people that aggressively face-to-face. Right. And, uh, you know, I think people that have any kind of, you know, not negotiating, commu- good communication skills are going to realize, like, you don't just scream at people like you would never communicate in the way this comment comes across right um so i think yeah i think that is important too like screens are yeah an escape for people but they're also something to hide behind which uh yeah that is amazing when i i think when you said that i think you know how many times have i seen somebody just fire off some terrible harsh words Mm -hmm. 
And then you see them in person and so mild yep. the way they talk to you. Mm-hmm. Because they have to look at you. Right. And you're looking at them. And you can actually resolve this when you look at each other. Mm-hmm. But if you just do it on a screen, turn it off and say, I told him, and you're trying to get as many people to read it as possible and side with you and like right. it and love yep. it or whatever they do, thumbs up it, mm-hmm. you know, then, okay, that's your goal. You can, it, it, yeah, you know, something I think back to when I was, uh, the staff director, um, here at camp for a summer and I remember that was when, um, First Corinthians 13, you know, the whole right. love chapter came. It's First Corinthians, right? Or is yeah. it second? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's when it really became practical to me because there were some guys that were knuckleheads, you yeah. know, and I had to have conversations with them. And I remember praying about it and getting ready to have this conversation I was not looking forward to. And just thinking through those verses, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And that became a reality when I finally realized, like, if I don't communicate to this person, I care about you, and that's why I'm even talking to you, and do it, you know, calmly and just um, let them know that they're valued and not just come out comment style and (laughs) say like, well, you're so stupid, blah, 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 you know, and just drop the mic and walk away because it's not social media. You have, I had to realize that they had to feel valued. And if they did not feel me communicating in love, I was annoying. I was just making noise. I was, you know, the way we take comments now. Right. You know, so, I mean, there's nothing, I, again, like, there's nothing new under the sun. Like, he was talking about communicating with people in a way that they understood and as they were valued. Right. You know, and so now, now people care more about, like you said, getting the likes and being validated. Yeah. You know, by the people that comment and agree, and it's more about, like, power from the people you know like yeah. if i mean that that's the whole influencer culture like oh well that person has a million two million four million ten million followers subscribers boy what they have to say has value you know yeah two points some people get that kind of following because they're they are experts and depending on you know what they do um some get it because they just know how to create controversy. That is true, too, yeah. That's not hard, by the way. <laughs> if you want to create controversy, that's that's something anybody can actually do. Yeah. You know, as a teacher, I want to encourage those that are listening that have children at home, don't allow your children to only get educated by means of the screen. Mm-hmm. And I And this is why I say that. Now, I, I don't. I am not against homeschooling. We homeschooled our kids, but so I'm not against it. I'm just saying it's important that they have human contact in teaching. As a teacher, and uh, you've been in my classes, you've been around when I teach, I actually am reading people. I am looking at them while I teach. And if I'm looking at you while I teach, I'm teaching you. And what I'm trying to do is figure out how connected are you and do you get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And if I find you're not connected, I want to do something. 
uh, and I can't do that over a screen. There is so much personal interaction that takes place between a teacher who cares and students. And whether it be homeschooling, I think mom or dad should be that teacher, and they should be caring, and they should be looking and helping and laughing and crying, whatever you need to do to get the job done. But if we turn to complete learning on a screen, we are going to miss another dimension of teaching that is going to affect our generations for years to come. That's my own opinion. There is no scientific background. There is nothing behind that. It's just, you know, as an old teacher, I'm thinking, please don't take that touch away. Don't take the look away. Well, and I think, too, that comes back to, you know, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love, you know, that's where this, like, when you're teaching, you care about the people you're teaching to. You're gauging how well they're, you know, tracking with you. And so because you care about them, you're adjusting the way you say things so that they understand it. If we're doing all this on screens, it's purely, it's pre-recorded information. Right. Or entertainment or whatever. There right. is no, no personal interaction with it. So that's where I think, like, the difference of, you know, a good personal teacher is that you have that interaction. If they care about you, you know, like first Corinthians talking right. about, they're going to communicate in a way that lets you know you're valued and it's just all around better communication. It's healthier. We were yeah. made to be relational. Yeah, well I know that good teachers are very concerned with being able to read their students. And I used to have a rule when I taught in grade school and even in Nicolay Bible Institute. And my rule was this if if you didn't learn if you were my student. If you didn't learn, I didn't teach. So, you know, I know a lot of times like, well, you have to have the attitude where you want to learn. Well, I agree, but I don't want to rest on that. Yeah. I want to do, you know, maybe it's because I presented the information in a way that doesn't make sense to you. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe you do have a problem, but I need to get into your life and figure out what it is so you can stop. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe... I think for a lot of teachers, too, I think what you brought up, we'll try to get to real quick, is um, I think a lot of teachers that don't do what you're talking about, that's a maturity issue because um, it's really about um, communicating in a way where they take the responsibility. Like I think that is not a common thing in our culture where I am taking responsibility for making sure I teach the best that I can as opposed to like, these students just are no yeah. good. So. Well, I, on the other side of the coin, I do have to give you the other rule I had when I was a student. No bad teachers, only bad students. Well, that, again, it, comes it, back to the personal responsibility. It does. But is, if you have yeah. both of that, if you have a teacher that says, if you didn't learn, yeah. I didn't teach. Right. And you have a student that says, no bad teachers, only bad students. Right. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to have a pretty well-educated class you are (laughs) and so whether you're on the teaching side and you're listening or whether you're a student Mm -hmm. I think it still falls back to being your responsibility and partial uh, problem I think in our country today has been that nobody takes responsibility and that's maybe part of the reason for the depressive and angry behavior because we're waiting for somebody else to make sure our lives are okay Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't think that's a very good idea So, but we need to take a break here shortly, and we'll come back. We're going to continue this discussion in the next half. Uh, This is Dave Wager with Todd McElhaney. 
coming to you from the studios of Relate365.com. And we're actually on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute and invite you to check out the NicolayBibleInstitute.org if you're a student looking for a year in the Northwoods.